In Isaiah chapter one, verse number 16, we start reading here with the prophet Isaiah, who, by the way, is the most quoted prophet by Jesus in the New Testament. And the other author in the Old Testament that's quoted the most is Moses. So Jesus quotes from both Moses and Isaiah the most. But we have here uh, Isaiah the prophet. In verse 16 of chapter one, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Rebuke the oppressor. Defend the fatherless. Plead for the widow. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And may God bless his word as we have it read into our hearts today. Isaiah speaks to this message in the eighth century before Christ. And that's about 700 and something BC. And in that period of time, he lived in the Southern kingdom which was headquartered in Jerusalem. Isaiah probably had connections to the royal court in his family uh, because we know that he was one of the chief men of the government because he would often be called in when the king had a problem. So he was also an advisor to the king, King Hezekiah, but he also lived through other kings as well. So Isaiah, brings us this, some of these words are very familiar to us. Songs have been written about these words, but he starts with describing for us the need for mercy. Notice he says in verse 16, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes cease to do evil. So we have here in this little section, a clue to how God wants to heal a people, how God wants to change things for good. Now, things were not going well in, at the time in Judah. There were a number of awful crimes and, and examples of corruption that were going on at the time Isaiah lived. And literally, there were a bunch of crooked people who were there. And if you read the verses before and after, you can see those for yourself, but they involved murder and theft and all kinds of oppressions where people had took advantage of other people. And yet God gives people a chance. He is a God of mercy. He gives them a message to help them and to let them know there is hope for them, which is very important because when he says, wash yourselves and make yourselves clean, he's not saying go over here in the river and wash yourself or take a bath. He is saying that your soul needs to be cleansed. Now we learn in the New Testament that the source of cleansing comes from the word of God, which is called the washing of the water of the word. 
So when you read the word of God and you take the Bible and you read it obediently, reverently, and seriously, that word begins to examine you. You don't examine it, it examines you. It's, it's sort of like God's own x-ray upon your soul. You literally read the word and you start realizing, I didn't know I had it so bad. <laughs> I didn't know. But you need the word to cleanse you. The word is a cleansing a a agent. And so when the prophet Isaiah, he preaches this word to the people, he's telling them, I'm, what, the words that I'm saying are going to cleanse you. You're going to be clean and made right again, which is an awesome, awesome promise. He tells them in that very same thing that put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes and cease to do evil. So you've got to stop the leak. You know, if the, if the boat is sinking because somebody has left the uh, whatever, the little hole, the drain open and you sink. What you've got to do is you've got to stop the leak. And when we continue and anyone continues in doing evil and they don't stop the leak, then they have a problem because whoever thought uh, that is a very good thing to take a shower at the same time that you're putting mud on your skin and uh, you know just step right out back into the mud again. I mean, that's a vicious cycle. You've got to stop putting the mud on in order to get cleansed finally. So God wants us to understand that there is mercy in confession. The Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, I'm not a person that particularly likes washing clothes, but I can do it. Well, I say I wash clothes. I can put clothes in a, in a machine, okay? I can do that, and the machine does the washing. But sometimes the machine doesn't do a good job, so I have to take special attention to change that. Well, God takes special attention upon us and he wants to cleanse us and we come to him when we confess our ways. So the very first message is that we can find mercy if we stop doing the evil and we confess to God we're at fault. Now, the second part of this message is a positive duty that all people should have. And a list of these duties is given to people because it's not enough simply to go and have an emotional experience in which you say, oh, I'm okay now, I'm okay now, if you don't change your life. If there is no change, if there's no change of direction, if, we, if our lives are not actually different after we've confessed, then what good is our confession? And that's the part here where instead of doing the evil, you must substitute doing good because otherwise there's a vacuum there. And he starts off and he says, learn to do good. How important is that? Learning is hard work. I'm reminded of that every morning when my eighth graders who arrive uh, to class for my first period class. You think those eighth graders are just going to be so excited to be in class on a Monday morning at eight o'clock in the morning? Do you think there's a chance that some of them drag into class? Yes, that's true. That may be because their mamas and their daddies are dragging because they got to go to work and they don't want to go any more than the kids want to go. 
It's very hard, isn't it? But you gotta learn, you gotta learn. Learning is difficult. It's difficult. It, it, any learning that's worth learning is difficult, by the way. If you never work for your education, you never work to learn, then it's not that viable, valuable to you. If it's always easy, then you're not pushed hard enough. So you always got that challenge, I do, as a teacher, to make sure that those who are the advanced students are being challenged at the same rate as those that are not so advanced, so that they're all learning. So learning is, is hard. Why? Because learning is changing the way you're doing things and you're learning a different practice. You're actually, there's something new. So you actually have to do something different to learn. So when people are going to learn to do good, that means they may stumble, they may mess up, they may not even know how to do good but they've got to learn by starting somewhere. Is there any record on earth of a toddler who was learning to walk who never stumbled at least once in their lives? Do you know of any such person personally? Because about everybody I've ever seen that's a child uh, learning to walk has stumbled. And it would be highly unusual if they could walk. Now they, in, in the wild, the little animals, when they're born, they might stumble just a little bit for a few minutes, but it doesn't take them too long to be pretty spry. They'll run and jump, and it's amazing. God prepares these creatures to be able to run quickly, but it's not true of humans. We're very slow when it comes to developing. So learning is a practice of trial and error. It is, it is a practice of stumbling and bumbling and getting back up and becoming better at it. Because as you work at something, you get better at it. And so doing good's the same way. Doing good means you will mess up at times. You will have difficulties. You won't always get it right, but you will be doing good because you're learning to do good. That's why Jesus said every day, pray to God, forgive us our sins. Why do you have to pray for forgiveness if you didn't have sins? We do fail every day. But if you're learning, you are advancing and doing better. So learn to do good. And doing good is so important. A second thing is once you get yourself right, once you start doing the right thing, then you should seek justice. Notice he says in verse 17, seek justice. Boy, he actually lists a few other things there. Seeking justice, rebuke the oppressor. That's a, that is a strong duty, and I don't think a lot of people do this. You know, I have been very, very uh, conscious, I should say, probably for the last 40 years of my life, about uh, things like what is a fair and just system of government. I mean, really, I, I've seen so many examples in my life of how political things are corrupt that I don't trust our system anymore. I just don't trust it. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying we should have a rebellion and all that. I'm, I don't think we should be suicidal. I think that's dumb. Look, our king is Jesus. He's the greatest king of all. He's the king of kings, Lord of lords. Nothing happens to us by accident. God's got a purpose for all things. 
So we must go from that perspective. But when it comes to the political class and the overall system, I don't trust it. I don't trust it. Now, why don't I trust it? Because I think they're just like in the book of Isaiah. There are a bunch of corrupt people there. Not all of them, but a lot of them. Heard a story of a man. This is a fake story, so I doubt it's true. But it's an interesting story that I heard about a politician, a congressman who, who died. And he's at the pearly gates. And he wants to get in. But they say, well, we got a situation here where we need to, before you get here, we're giving you an opportunity to see what life is like down there in the other place before you get in here. So they sent him down there. And uh, there he noticed that all of his buddies that he had known before are there in, down here below the earth. And they are having a good time. They're playing golf and they are just drinking at the bar there and they're laughing and singing and they, they even introduce him to the devil and, and the devil is a nice looking guy and says, oh, it's good to see you. We hope you choose us. So after that experience, it took him back up there to the pearly gates and he looked through and he saw people there. They, it was good. They were having a good time. They seemed to be pretty happy people, but he, they said, so what's your choice? And he says, I never would have thought this, but I think I'm going to go down. So they sent him back. And when he got in there, he noticed all of his same friends who were laughing and, and having a good old time were now just look emaciated and they were suffering and hollering and screaming and having a horrible time. And then when he sees the devil, he says, wait a minute. When I saw you before, y'all were having such a great time. What happened? And they said, well, that was campaign season. <laughs> but after the election, this is what it's like. It is sad that that story has more truth than we would like to admit. Because people lie and people are corrupt. And I want to ask you a question. How many people who have taken, let's just say, lots of money through nefarious means are going to just voluntarily lose their power when confronted with that fact? They're not. They, uh, there is a reason why the golden rule applies. Not God's golden rule, but the world's golden rule. He who has the gold rules. And whoever's spending the most money. I mean, let's say our country, we have laws against bribery. It's illegal to bribe people. So I have a question for you. If 90% of the people entering Congress and Senate have a net worth of a few hundred or a hundred thousand dollars or whatever it may be, and they come out after 10, 20 years with millions, where did they get this money? How did this happen? How did they get this money? Who gave them the money? Because I thought bribery was illegal and I thought they're working for us. I'm letting you know that I don't trust the system. I think the system was corrupt then and I think it's corrupt now. Now, about four or 500 years ago, 400 years ago, 300 years ago, Thomas Hobbes wrote a book called Leviathan. Thomas Hobbes was an English philosopher. He said that human nature 
is corrupt. That in a, if you take government out of the way, the natural state of human beings is a state of war. And he said the solution to this is that you have to have a strong king, a monarch, who then has his tentacles through his ministers going through the world to control men so that they don't wipe each other out. And that that and it's like a Leviathan, literally, it's sort of like a sea monster, but still, that's the way you control with a central government and you've got one person in charge. So that was his solution to the problem of human nature. John Locke, he lived a uh, later, and he said that that human nature is basically a blank slate, a tabula rasa, and that you basically learn to do good or bad as you go through life. And his idea about the world and government was that not even a king is absolute, that if a king violates God's laws and the laws of justice, that there may be a time that you have to remove that king because the law requires that all people are submissive to the natural rights that God has given each one of us. Now, both of these men are highly influential, but Hobbes got the diagnosis correct, and yet his solution, I think, was wrong, but I think that John Locke got the diagnosis for human nature wrong, but his solution was much better because it was Locke's opinions that we have in the Declaration of Independence, that God gives us our rights. And so we're all submissive to God for those rights. We're not submissive to the world, we're submissive to God first. And I feel that God wants us to understand that. I heard about another story, which I doubt is true, of some congressmen who were in a bus wreck is in the middle of the country. Some old farmer was away from everybody and the bus wrecks. And, and when the rescue people get there a day later, they finally found this remote place and this lone farmer was there. And they noticed that there were a bunch of graves. And they said, well, uh, did, did you bury them all? He said, yes, sir. What, you mean there were no survivors? He said, well, some of them said they were, but you know you can't trust a congressman no matter what they say. God wants us to get rid of the corruptions. He says, seek justice. We need to seek it. We need to personalize it. We need to be people who, instead of complaining about the school system, we need to go and say, hey, you're a school board member, what do you think? And talk with people as a human being and discuss with them, give them a chance to hear your concerns. It's not about gotcha or trying to overthrow people, it's about letting your concerns be known. Do it in a polite way. Do it in a way in which you are trying to get what's right done in our schools, but not just our schools, in our government, etc. And if you gain those people as your friend, and if you gain their ear because you're doing good and you're seeking justice, then you're doing well. But what happens if you run against people who end up denying and closing their ears and eyes to you and literally shutting everything down and won't give you the time of day? 
Well, those people are the oppressors. And the Bible says rebuke the oppressor. That's when you need to take action. That's when you, when you need to call people out and you need to say, that's not right. You don't need to do that. And you do something about it. He says, defend the fatherless. Well, who else is gonna defend them? There are so many people today that are victims of all kinds of crimes and children especially from the childhood, from, their, from the womb. When is a child safe anymore? They're not safe in the womb. They're not safe when they're a child. I, I saw something recently where a quote therapist said that she was transing her two-year-old. Now you tell me how in God's name a person could get by with polluting a child who doesn't even know anything hardly and trying to change their natural God-given sex. It's wrong. And they call this gender affirmation. That is straight from the pit of hell. Anyone who stands for that, I am not your friend. I am against you. And you better not be for that because that is against God. We need to stand for what's right. And if we are afraid, oh, there's nothing we can do. Really? We can do good. We can seek justice. We can rebuke the oppressor. Did Isaiah rebuke the oppressor? Yes, he did. Did he stand up for what was right? Yes, he did. But when he was an old man, there was a wicked king named Manasseh. He was an awful man. And he was so wicked that he persecuted and killed the people who stood up for God's word. The tradition of the Jews, and even in the Bible it hints about it, says that when Isaiah was an old man, this evil king took Isaiah and put him in between two boards or in a hollow log. There's two versions of the story. But they literally cut the poor man in half with a saw while he was still living. That's how he died, Isaiah, the man who wrote these words. Was he successful? Did he convince the world? Well, in his own day, you might think he wasn't, but Manasseh ended up repenting later after he lost everything. But the point of the matter is, is that it is not our duty to win elections. It is not our duty to go out here and get everybody to like us, but it is our duty to do good, to seek justice, rebuke the oppressor, defend the fatherless. And where are the fathers, by the way, in these decisions that they're doing when they're mutilating children or they're aborting babies? Where are the fathers? We need to defend them. If we don't defend them, shame on us. What right do we have? to even serve anywhere if we're not gonna defend these people. He says, plead for the widow. Nursing homes can be very sad places. I've heard many people say, I hate nursing homes and they never wanna to go to them and never visit them, never been there in their life. Or if they've gone, it's because they had to at the very last minute. But I'll tell you what, do you think that every nursing home in America treats the old people under their care well? Would you be willing to say that? Nope, I would not say that either. Who's defending them? Who's defending these poor widows? Who's defending these poor little old ladies? It's horrible, some of the things that go on. I also think it's kind of interesting how those poor people get abused because people will go in there and collect their votes. Some of these people don't know anything. Well, collect their votes. 
when they might not even know what they're doing. Maybe someone's filling it out for them. How, how do those poor, poor, poor people know even what's being done in their name? Somebody has to defend the widow. Somebody's going to defend the people who are being taken advantage of. Some of the, the loan programs that are out there to help widows and help older people can come back to bite them because they're taking advantage of them in their elderly conditions. Folks, we all can do a better job in every one of these. We all can be, do better on doing good. We can seek justice. Remember, it's not whether we win or lose. It's not what laws we get written. It's whether we're doing our part. Seek justice. We can rebuke the oppressors who will not repent. We can defend the fatherless and we can plead for the widow. We can stand and help them. We can make sure that if we talk to every nursing home administrator, when it comes to election time, that fair processes happen where we don't take advantage of people. And I think that right there has to be done at a local individual level. We need to do a better job. So sandwiched between the meat of the matter, which is to learn to do good, seek justice, rebuke the oppressor, defend the fatherless and plead for the widow is the last part where he says, come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. <laughs> I'm glad God calls his people to talk. He doesn't, come, he doesn't say, come here so I can shout at you. He says, come here, let's reason together. Let's think this through. Now, he's talking to some very bad people, the corrupt people, the murderers, the thieves, the, the people who've taken bribes and have uh, abused people. He says to them, now think of that for a moment. He says to them, let's reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, Yes, you've done all these bad things. And they're like scarlet, a, a, harlot, a, a horrible stain upon them. They shall be as white as snow. He says, I'm going to clean you up. It doesn't matter. These politicians, we should pray for them. We should pray that God will change their hearts, that they, though their sins be as scarlet, they will be as white as snow. We should pray the same for all of us that though our sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Wow, what a promise. What a hopeful thing. Because there's a lot of rotten things going on in our world today, but God says they can be very bad, but so powerful is the blood of Jesus. So powerful is the death of Christ on the cross that all these sins have been paid for. And that is a great mercy. All of them, not some of them, all of them have been paid for. And if you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. I don't want to die without seeing positive good happen in our country. I hope that God lets me live so I can see things moving in a better direction and that we can see success because sin is, is, is a, a stain and a curse on any nation. But he says, if you're willing and obedient, you shall, it's a promise, eat the good of the land. Wow, what a promise. But the opposite is true. If you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword, 
for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. We do not have safe streets in our cities. We do not have safe borders in our country. We have criminality running rampant. That's because people have refused God and they rebel. And because we don't recognize him, we don't obey him, he's turning us over to these things, to what Thomas Hobbes says is a state of nature where everybody's just fighting everybody. And what, what else is there? That's what happens. We need God to intervene. We need God to help. And though our sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow if we are willing to repent. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, there's a promise of restoration that is given to us if we confess, if we do good, we seek justice, rebuke the oppressor, if we defend the fatherless, and we plead for the widow. The Bible says if we obey, we'll be restored. What a great promise. And Lord, we made fun of the politicians today, but truthfully, Lord, we all need to do good. We all need to do what's right. We all need to focus on doing what you want us to do. So today, would you hear our prayer on behalf of our nation, our political class, to the Congress and Senate, to the person in the White House and those that control the events and the history uh, at our time. Would you please help us so that we would see a change and have mercy placed upon us? And we ask this in the blessed name of Jesus, our Savior, and amen.